In this episode, the company Recycling Hotel Soap for the Developing World, the impact of COVID-19 on a business transforming communities through sustainable philanthropic travel, and the animals coming out to play in South Africa. Welcome to the new World Nomads podcast. We'll be keeping you up to date with travel alerts and sharing some uplifting news and views to inspire you and keep you smiling. Hi, it's Kim and Phil with you sharing those stories that I just mentioned and some of the headlines surrounding coronavirus and travel. Phil, take it away. All right. During lockdown, plenty of countries have been spreading inspiring messages with some lighting up landmarks, including the Empire State Building in New York. The top of the building has been pulsating red to resemble a heartbeat, paying tribute to the city's first responders and health workers who are uh, really putting their own lives on the line there, aren't they? Yeah. Look, we've seen deer in London and wild boar in Italy, which I fully endorse. <laughs> it's a Tuscan delicacy, the wild boar, the chingali. Very, very nice. Anyway, wild boar in Italy, animals having a field day, taking advantage of the lockdown, including a pride of lions in South Africa. Look, they were found lying on one of the roads in Kruger National Park. Normally they, you know, forced off into the bush because of the traffic on the roads, but um, they uh, were lying on the on the bitumen warming themselves up. They're great um, pics, actually. It's really? fantastic, isn't yeah. it? That would be a great shot, a great thing to come across. Wouldn't yeah, it? well, I'll share that in show notes. Uh, meantime, cool. Emirates has begun carrying out COVID-19 blood tests on passengers at the airport prior to flights. Do you think that's a bit of an indication of the sign of the times moving forward? I'm not sure I'd like a blood test before it jumped on a plane. I didn't think a blood test was necessary. Don't you only have to do a swab? Maybe it's quicker. Maybe you get a quicker result that way. If it means you can actually get on a plane and get home or get where to where you need to be, uh, I'd probably back that up. Yeah. Look, Taiwan's largest carrier, China Airlines, is considering a name change. A petition started two months ago on change.org has had more than 50,000 signatures. And finally, to give you an indication of how much the virus has affected the uh, travel industry, 96% of all destinations around the world have introduced some sort of travel restriction. Mm, It's been tough. Yeah. Yeah. Our first guest in this episode is Malia Everett. She's the founder of Ultra Vistas, which focuses on philanthropic travel. In fact, I'll let her tell you what she does. Basically, um, we're a socially responsible philanthropic travel company. So we basically power and run other folks, um, if you will, their, their own travel programs. Um, so we run them for universities that have a curriculum or high schools or middle schools. Um, usually it has a little bit of a social justice or human rights curriculum. And then the rest of them are either for private uh, businesses, you know, yoga and wellness or women's businesses in particular. Often we also run photographic journeys. Um, and then the others are for organizations that use them as fundraisers um, or radio stations, for example. And so the idea is behind that triple bottom line embedding the entire supply chain, you know, we make sure that the majority of the money always stays to benefit local economy and does thus good in that way from, you know, hotels or bed breakfasts or lodges and the like to, oh my gosh, all the restaurants or places we've decided to bring people to where you're shopping and different organizations and the like. So yeah, it's just one of those things where we just make sure that again, the majority of money benefits local tourism, local economy. And that of course is all, you know, ground to a halt. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, of course, devastating for our service providers where you're, whether you're in Quito or, you know, locally here in the Bay Area, we had a bunch of trips set up 
uh, right now for New Orleans, uh, also for San Francisco. We had trips that were canceled from the Balkans to Costa Rica, and of course, a lot to Cuba. We, about half of our business is in Cuba, actually. Can I just say, I hope you're taking note on how she's pronouncing those places, are you? Mate, I did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of articles pop up uh, about philanthropy and what a tough time it is. What are, what are you saying to your um, philanthropists? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, we've been really blessed overall because of the nature of our, of our relationships are, I mean, a lot of, a lot of ways they're of course long-term. And so even though a lot of the trips themselves have canceled, um, the good faith and the good effort behind those relationships means that most of the clients have postponed. But of course, you know, they're all scrambling and looking for other ways to generate um, one, I would say still liquidity within their organization and funding. And then the second is, you know, alternative ways to connect and build relationships, even though we're all physically, uh, physically distanced from each other. So, you know, I've seen people go to these Zoom calls like we're doing now to, you know, online chats, um, to doing virtual tours and, you know, uh, visiting with funded, you know, funders uh, and visiting with um groups that they themselves have been funding or supporting. So I think, you know, people are trying to move the way that, of course, we feel still feel connected and still finding creative ways to um, share stories. I'm a member of, um, uh, we call it a barrier, uh, women and like women leaders in sustainable tourism. And, you know, we have people from Wild, uh, like the founder of Wild China, who, of course, does mostly inbound, outbound China. You know, so she was talking about the, expecting the recovery to take about a year and a half. Um, others from, you know, mountain lodges of, of Peru um, and, and other groups um, were also saying that they're anticipating the impact to be at least a year. Um, we have a few trips still, uh, you know, of our programs still, um, uh, you know, kind of on the books for the fall. But I'm expecting those to probably cancel. And the bizarre thing is that circumstance makes what you do even more important for the people who are going to be stranded without any income. Yeah, exactly. We've tried to be, you know, really flexible to all of our, um, you know, both clients and customers and others and, you know, refund wherever we can. But a lot of the hotels, you know, and others haven't been able to refund us quickly. It's, as you know, through the entire supply chain, it's, it's, a, it's a really challenging, you know, moment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really challenging. And a lot of the, you know, small organizations, like I think about the supply chain, for example, we work with seaturtles.org, an amazing, you know, organization. We, um, do their trips in Cuba, uh, also with, uh, Oceanic Society, we run their trips in Cuba and, you know, they themselves and their model of bringing these eco-tourists there, you know, they give so many, um, so much money away to different local community projects, you know, in Mexico and Cuba and all over. And so I just, I just know that they're, they're really going to be really, really challenged, both in the North, the global North in terms of the United States, but also for their, their projects, you know, that they're funding um, for conservation in other places. And that's, that's what I'm really, you know, kind of worried about too, is, you know, who's taking care of the sea turtles, you know, at the, and on the beach at night and their eggs. So there's that whole supply chain down that it does affect both the ecology from that ecotourism management point of view as well. When we start moving again, a lot of people have said we will think differently about how we will travel. We'll do it slowly, we'll do it sustainably, and we will do it ethically. So do you think that space will recover sooner rather than later? 
You're right. And in, in a lot of ways, you know, I've seen that shift over the last decade. I mean, I got involved with human rights or advocacy based travel um, in the 90s uh, from the US context, right? So, you know, I've seen that shift of consciousness where people started to understand more about um, sustainable tourism, both benefiting people and place. I think with this kind of massive pandemic, global pandemic, there is more of a global consciousness and a global awareness. And I hope that affect the way people actually put money where their values are, where they vote, how they vote with their wings, right? And so I think for a lot of people it will. I think more and more people will start to make those more ethical choices and ask, you know, who owns you, you know, how much money goes to support the local economy. Yeah, obviously what happens is, is the industry ebbs and flows in both with the airlines and and yeah, from a philanthropic point of view, I just think, you know, a lot of, you know, I know a lot of people who, you know, I normally give to, you know, I give a hundred bucks here, a thousand bucks there. And now I'm like, I can do $10 a month, <laughs> you know, so that's, de it's definitely impacting a lot of the, I think the working class, working families and middle, middle class. Very true. And charities and projects, et cetera, Phil need our help more than ever, including Eco Soap Bank, this is really cool. They're addressing the critical need for hygiene in developing countries, which is being hounded home as we battle coronavirus. Yeah. And I spoke to the founder, Samir Lakani. Well, we do a simple but very powerful thing, in my humble opinion. We employ women all across the world to recycle leftover hotel soap, which we then redistribute predominantly to children along with hygiene education. And every single year, Kim, we reach 1.4 million children with the hygiene and education they need to keep themselves healthy and happy. Well, you're top of mind at the moment because we're all being told around the world to make sure that we wash our hands. It's, it's a simple message, but not so easy in some, some countries. It's an understatement for sure. It's like we've woken up to a reality where hand washing is top of mind. And for the very first time in six years after starting Eco Soap Bank, finally our advocacy and our mission is resonating. Um, yes, it, it now is the critical time to start washing our hands. But you know what, Kim? We're not very good at it, to be honest. In terms of physical doing it or just not doing it at all? In terms of compliance and also in terms of the supply. Uh, so two things I want to touch on. Number one, a recent study done here in the U.S. by the University of Michigan yielded that only 5% of Americans wash their hands correctly after using the bathroom. So this is a, is a hot time to kind of re-educate, if you will, uh, a lot of people on how to wash their hands appropriately and also to address misconceptions. Well, walk us through that. I have seen you on Facebook uh, explaining how you should wash your hands, but for those people listening, how, how do you do it? Well, uh, hard to do uh, just through audio, but um, I would say uh, there's a couple of things that uh, need to be pointed out. Number one, the length of time is the most one of the most important factors. The length of time and friction uh, is the most important. So the best way is to talk about how soap actually works. Bacteria and viruses, like the coronavirus, they attach themselves to the oils found on our hands and skin. And what soap actually does is not kill those bacteria and viruses, but it does one better. 
it completely removes the oil, therefore it completely removes the bacteria and viruses from your hands and washes it down the drain. Uh, and so um, that is quite a uh, magnificent event, but it only can occur after 20 seconds of thorough hand washing with friction. Places like the backs of your thumbs, the backs of your hands, your wrists, under your fingernails, these are hot spots for potential infection. So we can all do our part in, in preventing the spread of this virus. You know, in, in a place like Liberia uh, or a place like Rwanda, only one to two percent of households have access to soap for hand washing. This is something, frankly, we take for granted here in the West. So are you going back into those communities and reminding them of how important it is now to continue the hygiene? Yes. So we have a lot of viruses and a lot of diseases to contend with uh, in addition to coronavirus and its impending spread. Hand washing with soap could save millions of lives every single year. And and now we're definitely seeing it in real time. We are going back into these communities and re-emphasizing that hand washing is so vitally important, but we're doing one step better. We are connecting poor families in countries like South Africa and slums, in Rwanda, in Nepal, in Lebanon, in Cambodia, with the actual resources they need to keep themselves and their families healthy. We know the hospitality industry has taken a hit during this time. That's where you source your soap. Uh, has that been an issue for you, Samir? So um, being a being a millennial-driven startup, uh, it was very important for us to embed in our DNA that we were going to be part of sustainable tourism and part of a circular economy. All that is to say that we don't make a virgin soap. We save soap from going to landfills. Now, just, just very quickly, before um, the coronavirus pandemic, Kim, how many bars of soap do you think were thrown away per day? Oh, I do like questions like this, but I'm... <laughs> uh, and this is worldwide? Worldwide per day. Oh, I wouldn't even like to hazard a guess. Obviously a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's 5 million bars per day thrown away by the global hotel industry. What that means is that that's over 2 billion bars of completely usable soap that is going straight into landfills. And so our mission from day one was to stop the, the flow of soap from hotels into landfills and to redirect them to economically disadvantaged women in countries uh, in Africa and Asia to recycle this soap and give it to ch children and teach them how to use it. So back to your former question, Kim. Yes, Yes, our supply has certainly taken a hit as the global hotel industry suffers from this pandemic. But I'll tell you one thing, we don't discriminate at uh, against different types of soap. We're now starting conversations with large soap manufacturers and factories asking if they have any soap waste from their manufacturing lines. And what we have found, Kim, is that soap factories waste on average 10% of their production, which translates into billions of bars of its soap equivalent. So you've uncovered something thanks to the pandemic. 
we've found a treasure trove of soap. However, it's going to take a large movement and it's going to take a lot of advocacy to be able to collect all that soap. And so really one thing that's top of mind for Eco Soap Bank right now is to have as many conversations with soap factories all over the world to ensure that no soap waste is sent to landfills, but is redirected to some of the hardest hit countries by the coronavirus pandemic. Heaps of links on how you can support Eco Soap Bank in show notes. It's a great idea, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? It's great. Fantastic. Look, if you've got a story you'd like to share with us, you can email us at podcast at worldnomads.com. Well, we mentioned New York earlier in the episode, and next time we speak, we'll talk to travel writers in lockdown there where nearly 14,000 people have died from the virus. Mm, stay safe, people. Bye. The World Nomads Podcast. Explore your boundaries.